Okay, hi and welcome to episode four of the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. Today I'm uh, privileged to have Dr. Abby Smith-Ryan and Dr. Lane Norton with me. And today we're going to talk about um, a topic which I know you will find fascinating, um, one which um, I saw these guys out at the ISSN annual conference uh, just over a week ago. I can't believe how how time flies. So it's um, a topic that, that we got into in a counterpoint discussion out there. But uh, um, it was good to meet you guys out there. Of course, Abby, I've met a number of times. But um, so good to see you and welcome, Abby. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Lane, I, I got to meet you for the first time. So that was awesome. Thank you. It was great to meet you. Yeah. So guys, let's get into this then. So uh, let's talk about metabolic adaptation. Um, just for a bit of background, the, the listeners, I would certainly encourage them to read the uh, review that you guys have written with Eric Trexler um, in JISSM, which is Metabolic Adaptation to Weight Loss Implications for the Athletes. An excellent read. I've certainly tweeted it quite a few times, and I think it's um, it's something that people should have in a background uh, sort of background knowledge there. So, um, Abby, can you just quickly sort of give us a, a quick overview as to what metabolic adaptation is by way of introduction. Yeah, you bet. And I think um, it's nice to do with this lane, this kind of podcast with Lane because we have different perspectives. Yeah. Um, I saw it initially from a clinical side of aspects. So with metabolic adaptation, my view of it is really um, a slowing of metabolic rate um, or an inability to lose weight even when under consuming calories or when we use kind of that idea of a calorie balance equation that someone should be losing weight, but they're not. Um, and, and you see that a lot. I see that a lot with overweight um, and obese individuals. And Lane will tell you he sees it a lot with the, on the competitor side of things. So it happens a lot with athletes as well. Great. So, yeah, and Lane, do you have any anything to add on that? Yeah, I mean, I, she came at it from a clinical perspective. I kind of, as you know, in, in the in the count point counterpoint discussion, I said I'm I'm a pragmatist, yeah. right? So I I care about I'm a scientist, but I care about what works in a practical sense. And um, what I would notice with my my clients is, uh, you know, we could get them to lose weight, and uh, inevitably most people put that weight back on um, via you know whatever amount of time. And uh, I started looking into the literature, and I said, well, what is, what is there, you know, is there actually, am I doing something wrong here, or is this normal? And what you find is that uh, dieting is a extremely poor means of long-term weight loss. Um, I mean, the, the research is actually extremely grim. It basically says, if you don't want to get fat, never put on the weight. Um, and then the body's defense of set point in terms of what range of body fat it feels like you should be at, uh, the body will defend that uh, vigorously. And that is through neurological adaptations, through metabolic adaptations, through hormonal adaptations, uh, just a whole just uh, amazing symphony of changes that it incurs. And uh, for the most part, if you look at people who diet, um, of the people who lose at least 10% of their body weight, 80% of those people put it back on within a year. And one-third to two-thirds of people actually body fat overshoot, which is a term for putting on more body fat than they originally had. 
So I kind of looked at it as like, well, why does this happen, right? Because we can't def deny the laws of thermodynamics. It, it is calories in versus calories out. But what I always tell people is that the what makes up the equation of calories in versus calories out is far more complex than we could ever imagine. And it's a moving target. It is not stationary. It is not sufficient just to say, well, you weigh this much and you have this much lean body mass, so you should eat this many calories. Um, the if, if it was just about exercising more and eating less, uh, we wouldn't have the obesity problem we have today. and We wouldn't have the problem uh, with people having trouble keeping weight loss off. So it kind of started as a practical thing of, okay, well, how could we get people to stop uh, regaining weight? And uh, so that's that's kind of how I started coming across some of this research. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's fascinating, really, isn't it, that it's 2014 and we're still debating how to actually do this stuff and uh, absolutely and you you made it you came up with a, an interesting statement which I'm sure we've all heard in one form or another but you you said something that struck in my mind which is something as a nutritionist I certainly deal with all the time and on a personal level and that is uh, you know dieting is it's, it's kind of easy to lose weight dieting but to keep the fat off that's a whole nother ball game absolutely and you what you'll see is people say well just stay on your diet well Okay, but what happens when it's your 10-year anniversary and you're going to go out with your with your spouse or whatever? And let's say you're an extremely strict dieter. Mm. I know extremely strict dieters who literally can add five pounds, six pounds just from one day of overeating. And it not just water weight. Water weight doesn't stick around for six months. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, it is calories in versus calories out, but it's just your body becomes extremely efficient, especially if you if you over-restrict for sure. very long. Sure. So clearly we're, we're talking about something here that's that it's relevant to a, a wide range of audiences, really. I mean, we're, we're talking about, of course, uh, in sport, one's weight and body composition is, is key. And it's something I, I know as a team nutritionist for various teams that I work with, it's something we... We we really you know struggle with at times to get people to achieve the right weights of our of our athletes uh, within a certain time frame. So of course there's that 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 pressure on you to achieve uh, a, a weight loss in a given time, and and that can be an issue. But of course it's an issue for for guys like you work with Lane uh, bodybuilders and and uh, physique athletes, and of course general members of the public and and so on. So we we know that this is a topic that is relevant to a wide range of people, whether it's for performance or, or general wellness or, or uh, just basic looking good naked, so to speak, just for aesthetic <laughs> purposes. That's, that's absolutely clear. So, Abby, um, you know, we kind of got an idea here what metabolic sort of adaptation is at a very basic level. But obviously the, there's some clear background factors here which um, – you know, as we start to energy restrict and, and cut calories, there's a number of sort of physiological and metabolic responses to the body. Do you want to just quickly introduce us to what some of those those changes might be? Yeah, you bet. And I think, um, you know, I stated this before, but um, it's really important too. It's not necessarily just hypocaloric intake. I think what you see a lot with athletes, what I saw personally, and, and you know, I'm sure what Lane sees a lot of with clients is that they're, they're exercising a lot too, right? So at the same time, um, it's not necessarily someone that's not eating, um, but they become very efficient 
from exercise too. That's why we exercise. So it's this um, kind of happy medium in between. So really what you see is a decrease in total daily energy expenditure. Um, and there's a hormonal changes as well. Um, and then mitochondrial adaptations. So kind of basically to summarize that, um, so as far as energy expenditure requirements, you see a decrease in a lot of your basal metabolic rate, um, you know, kind of movement and thermic effect of food. And you burn less calories when you do exercise. So you become more efficient, which is why we exercise. Yeah. Um, and then hormonally is really interesting. And I think um, there's some data on that, but I think that area as well as the whole idea of mi mitochondrial efficiency, both of those areas are a little bit less known than some of the metabolic rate aspects. Yeah, and it gets a bit complicated, doesn't it, Lane, where we're maybe from a performance uh, perspective, we're trying to get our, our athletes or our our weekend warriors more more efficient in how they use their fuels. Uh, uh, in fact, on a previous uh, podcast um, to this, I was um, with Mike T. Nelson, who, who was right up mm -hmm. there on the podium with you guys. And we were talking about uh, something that's one of my own research interests, which is in the whole concept of metabolic flexibility and metabolic efficiency. But of course, being more metabolically efficient isn't necessarily a good idea. In fact, it's, it can be pretty counterproductive in this situation, which um, might cause some people some sort of mental melt, you know, meltdowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, one of the things we have to keep in mind are two things actually, um, it, it, and for the most part, we think of efficiency as a good thing, and it is a good thing from a, a teleological survival perspective. If you look at, if we were dieting, body senses that as famine, okay, and what is the bo body's response to that going to be? Lower metabolic rate, so we save energy. And then when you come across energy, when you come across energy stores, be very efficient at restoring that energy. Um, there's a certain small percentage of people who don't tend to regain weight after dieting. Uh, they tend to have, uh, we're not real sure on it yet, but they tend to have differences just genetically. Um, they, have, they, they are inefficient with calories. They have a lot of thermogenesis going on. They tend to... Uh, expend excess calories as heat as opposed to storing them. Um, so if we could figure out what you know what makes them tick, maybe we can get a better idea of things. But uh, for, for the most part, so um, that 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 efficiency, while good for performance, uh, not great for body composition. For body composition, you would be as inefficient as possible. And here's where I think one of the disconnects comes in. And I, I struggle with this all the time with people. Uh, one of the big myths, and I just saw a video on this from a, a researcher uh, who gave a TED talk, and her name was uh, Sandra uh, Arnott, I think it was. Mm. And basically, uh, what you see is that you get almost all the health benefits from weight loss without losing any weight, just by changing your habits, simply by changing, by exercising and eating better, you, uh, you know, more fiber, uh, uh, you know, controlling your calories, that sort of thing, you actually get almost all the health benefits. So when people tell me, I just want to get healthy, I say, well, you, you're exercising, you're performing, all this sort of, you, you are healthy. Mm. Like if if you go in, look at their blood work, look at their um, their resting heart rate, uh, Abby, I'm sure you know this, you can get obese people who have a low resting heart rate um, and, and good blood lipids. So I think we need to get 
I think this one of the problems is we've created this this notion that in order to be healthy you have to be skinny, which is completely false. So you can be healthy without losing any weight. And then for performance, again, you can have people who perform very, very well. Look, look at the NFL. Um, we have people all the time who are they're doing their combine workouts and they're performing amazingly, and they take off their, you know, the, we had there was a very famous uh, photo of a guy sprinting, and he was, you know, not a very flattering physique, but he did great at the sprints, and uh, you know, for his for his uh, for his position, performed very well, got drafted high. Uh, but maybe not as high as he would have been because actually that picture uh, cost him <laughs> because teams thought he wasn't in shape. When the reality is, is if you're performing well, if you're getting stronger, you're 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 setting personal records in terms of time or whatever event you're in. Why so much worry about weight un unless you have a weight class that you have to make? And actually, there's interesting research on that. Um, if you look at the data from athletes who have to consistently make a weight class. And most of these people do crash dieting, and this is I always this is another kind of can of worms. But these people who consistently kind of have to crash diet to make weight classes, the number of times they have to diet predicts how much weight they gain throughout their life. So that is, the more times they have to make a weight class, the more weight they're going to gain throughout the course of their life. And if you look at athletes who didn't have to make a weight class versus those who do. Those who do gain significantly more body fat throughout the course of their life than those who do not have any weight restrictions. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, you, you made me think of a few things there whilst you were saying that, Lane. I, I work a lot with um, boxers and UFC fighters. And yep. one, one thing that's common with them, particularly not so much the heavyweights, but the weight, you know, the, the ones that really have to make weight, is they're, you know, at a time which is critical for them to be absolutely on point and firing on all motors before that fight uh they're just throwing everything out of the window because they're just trying to lose body fat yep and and it's kind of like why have you left it to the last minute to achieve something which is so destructive to your health and performance it's um it's, it's kind of amazing because there's that mindset of we just got to lose weight we got to you know do whatever we can put on the sweatsuits dehydrate i mean it's almost it's almost sort of medieval torture, isn't it? How, yeah, and, how and, people do this stuff. And what you'll find is a lot of those, I talk to a lot of those guys, a lot of those guys don't even think about their fight. When no. they make weight, they're actually like, they feel like they already won. And they don't, yeah. they don't, I had a friend who would tell me, he was in the UFC, and he said, after I made weight, everything else was a bonus. If I won, great. If not, you know what? I made the weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, was, he was just that focused on making the weight. And what he found consistently, what I see with a lot of these people who have to consistently make a weight class, it gets harder and harder for them every single time because, and this is where I talk about kind of the, the, the cycles of eating and weight regain, is that it takes you a long time and really tough restriction to get down to that, uh, that body weight you want to get to. But then it doesn't take nearly as much overeating to get back, okay? You can just kind of go back to eating normal and you're, you will shoot pretty quickly back up. Um, and if you do what most people do, which is, you know, you're dieting, most people are dieting for some kind of event for whether it be summer or a wedding or a vacation or whatever. And then they get to that event and there's some kind of, you know, uh, big buildup or whether it be a, a competition as well. And, uh, there's a come down off of that in terms of emotions and they tend to binge eat. Um, this is, this is, I've, I've done this. I know a lot of people do this and 
they put back on weight very, very quickly. So they are overeating. It's not some kind of magic that happens where they get to a certain weight and then they can't, you know, just magically it comes back on. They are overeating, but you can't separate physiology, physiology from psychology. Yeah. And so what I tell people, you know, when we get down to kind of, you know, how do we avoid this? Well, we don't really know because there's not a lot of data. But in my mind, one of the things is, uh, one, dieting on as many calories as you possibly can, you know, not yeah. having to overly restrict yourself. And then when you're done, very, very slowly adding them back in. When we talk about reverse dieting, which I know Abby is, is really interested in and, and we would like to see more studies on that because there's nothing on it. Just my anecdotal, what I've seen with clients. Um but yeah, yeah it's just, it's amazing how the body's response to dieting a lot of times and th this is what the lady who did the TED talk said was that in most cases people end up worse off from dieting than they would have been if they just done nothing. Oh yeah, no I mean I definitely uh I can definitely see that just even in my regular client base I I um uh, I don't just work with elite athletes I have sort of your regular members of the public and I get the usual people that come in and say I want to lose X amount of pounds because I'm getting married um, on such and such a date you know and we, we they've done their own crazy stuff and I help them get there they haven't come to me in an ideal situation or, or, or sort of timing um, but we get them there and then they just go away for a one week or two week honeymoon and they they gain outrageous amounts of weight um, which which is uh, which is shocking really and of course we don't have studies necessarily that that looks at this but it is a very real problem um that exists out there um and i think uh, i think that's something that we all need to consider so let, let's come i, I definitely want to get into uh, a little bit more about the uh, sort of the overshooting um scenario and definitely the the reverse uh, dieting but um abby do you want to uh, just just so we can just get back into some of the mechanisms here do you want to uh, uh, just give us a bit of background behind the sort of endocrine or hormonal responses to an actual energy deficit. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because um, there's not a ton of data on the hormonal side in healthy populations, right? So I think that's the debate too and where it's kind of nice to get all the world together, right? Because it's very dependent. Um, most of the literature is either in anorexia or mm. so eating disorders or... Um, obese. So their hormones in general are, are already different. Um, but in general, what you see when it's specifically in a hypocaloric state um, or, you know, not enough calories would be you, you see an increase in kind of your catabolic hormones. So um, and then a decrease in your anabolic hormones. So if your goal is to try and um, improve lean body mass and reduce fat mass, basically your hormones are working against you. Um, and interestingly, too, so are your hunger hormones. So even, you know, you're, you're still hungry. You're not satiated even when you do eat the few calories that you do. So more than like that's easier to, to relate to a competitor standpoint, right? When they do eat, they still aren't. Um, full uh, on low calories. So, do, do we, so is this more of a, a response to a, a fairly extreme situation, something that we can maybe tie into our, uh, for want of a, a, a better term, a sort of a starvation response to keep us alive and sort of engage those survival mechanisms to make us feed more in response to a potentially dangerous scenario? 
Yeah, I think some of that too. And I am not an expert in, in hormones, um, but there there is some really interesting data in those clinical populations that their hormone levels are driving some of their weight loss, weight weight gain stuff. But when you think about kind of a more of a normal population, I would uh, yeah definitely say it, it's our bodies. I mean, I always say this: your body is amazing. It's doing whatever it can to make you survive and, and feel good, right? Yeah, um, and the, and there's clearly lots of influences and input, isn't it? We 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 hear people and researchers talk about an obesogenic mm-hmm. environment, which is just yet another ingredient to throw in this in this big pot that we have to deal with. It, when I think, as practitioners in particular, uh, we need to bear in mind the, the sort of the, the 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 multiple factors that are influenced here. It's not like, of course, in a laboratory where you stick a a, a rat. Mm-hmm in a cage and it's got very few options um in the real world it's a very different scenario and and lane i mean you know in that context i mean why why don't we just tell someone to eat less well we we do that <laughs> but but the uh the problem becomes you only have so much willpower um and anybody who implies that they have an unlimited amount of willpower is a liar um, that's all there is to it. You just, you just, and you can't pick where your willpower comes from. We had, we had a, uh, uh, in our, at the VIP camp, uh, that, that Abby attended that I put on for some of my clients. Uh, we had, um, uh, Corey Probe speak and she's doing a PhD in psychology. And she, she was talking about how, you know, you can't pick where your willpower comes from. It's not like you have a willpower dedicated to diet and then a willpower dedicated to training and then a willpower dedicated to your marriage and then a willpower dedicated to your job. It all comes from the same place. So, uh, yeah, sure, you can you can hold out for a little while, but eventually you are going to reach a point where you break. Okay. Now, the this is why I like the idea of what I call flexible dieting, because I don't like to tell people eat certain eat certain foods and don't eat these other foods because it's not maintainable. No, you know we we have this whole clean eating fad now. And uh, which nobody can objectively define to me what a clean food is to this day, (laughs) but um, you know, assuming you could, uh, you know, great, you eat clean. All right. Well, what happens? What tends to happen with those people is that whenever they eat something off plan, they just go completely off the deep end. Okay, and and they then so you have not only metabolic suppression from dieting, but then you have the psychological aspects of you are doing a quote unquote cheat. And so you feel bad and so you eat more or you have the idea that, well, I've already ruined my diet because I've consumed this quote unquote bad food. So I'm just going to go off the deep end. Uh, if we look at uh, the people who do successfully lose weight and keep it off, the, 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 the select few that are sparse and few, but there are those who do, okay, the, like the 5 to 10% of people, um, the number one thing associated with them is consistency. All right, they're able to make something a lifestyle that they can stick to. And so that's why I like the idea of telling somebody, look, you can have the cookie, all right? Just account for it in your daily protein, carbon, fat intake, and you can have the cookie. It's not an evil thing, all right? And that tends to get people to be less likely to overeat because they don't say, oh, there's this bad food that I've eaten. Um, I've already ruined my diet. I might as well just have however much I want. and so I looked at look at it from a from a my number one thing I tell people and I, I kind of talked about this in 
in the in the talk is again I'm a pragmatist so I look at my hierarchy of what's important and the number one thing is uh, is maintainability and consistency and hard work okay so I'm not gonna let anything else sabotage that because that is the most important thing so people will ask me all the time uh, flexible dieting for those who don't know is kind of associated with like a pop-tart thing like a lot of people who practice flexible dieting will post pictures of them eating pop-tarts I guess because it's considered the most unclean food that you could possibly have and people are kind of trying to rile people up but I'll get people who ask me well Lane you can't tell me a pop-tart is, is, is better for you than a sweet potato and I, I tell people well that's, I'm, that's not what I'm trying to say, but what I'm trying to say is if having that one Pop-Tart or having that one cookie or having that one piece of cake or whatever it is and accounting for it in your macronutrient intake allows you to stay consistent, then hell yes, it's better than only eating certain foods, but when you're not eating those foods, you're going off the deep end. Yeah, no, I completely agree. There's nothing drives me or winds me up more than the sort of nutritional dogmatism that exists out there it's just black and white as far as some people present it and it absolutely is not there's no bad diet uh sorry there's no bad food um there might be a bad diet but it's what sure. you do it's what you do on average that counts and like exactly. you say if you cannot sustain what you're doing and together uh, i actually plagiarized a comment from you the other day on on, <laughs> on twitter <laughs> you know if you cannot see yourself doing whatever you're thinking about doing for the long term you know next year the year after that five years from now what well, it's probably not going to work no. uh and the data says that. you're going to fail yeah, yeah data says you're going to fail and actually that quote was from my assistant so he ah. didn't just so give her proper <laughs> yeah. credit so i it's okay that you took it from me because i took it from her <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, that's that's great. So, Abby, let's uh, uh, let's just quickly put this into sort of the context of performance quickly. Then, so uh, I, I, you know, we're talking about various people here, whether it's regular members of the public or uh, you know, uh, football players, rugby players, uh, boxers, UFC fighters, that sort of thing. It, 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 in a situation where maybe time is an issue you know like we're we're being presented with someone who does need to lose body fat so that we can improve their strength to mass ratio for example and we've got only a a certain period of time uh to achieve this and i know like you know like i've heard lane mention many a time of course where um you know you might get a a bodybuilder or a physique competitor who wants to compete you know in the near future and it might just be a case of look i'm sorry you're not ready for this let's put this off to another time um, and I can see the 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 logic and, and putting your client first in their health but of course in a team setting or with a, an athlete where let's say it's the Olympics and you're not really in a situation where you can say look I think we should put this off to the next Olympics uh, I mean sort of you know you know timing is what I'm talking about here I mean how how relevant is time here to achieving a healthy um, adaptation uh, well, I think, I mean, you bring up a couple of things. Like, no, it, it all comes back to consistency, right? Mm. So if you can make it a lifestyle, that's what we need to have people do, both nutritionally and exercise. And that's what's going to get them their leanest and keep the weight off, right? But that's not going to happen for everyone. So if you are in this time crunch, um, what a lot of the literature, so earlier you mentioned the, the body fat overshooting, um, mm. And a lot of that data, like when you collectively look at this phenomenon of metabolic adaptation in, you know, different pockets of literature, really what you see is that you want to try and do whatever you can to maintain as much lean body mass 
um, when you're losing fat mass, right? So that's the number one thing to go if you rapidly lose weight um, and you're under consuming calories, right? You're going to lose some fat mass, but you're also going to lose a lot of lean body mass. Um, and then in that weight regain period, it's usually that um, you'll continue to increase fat until you've regained the lean body mass um, that you were at originally. So when you think about that, like I always start to think about, well, what nutritional and exercise strategies can we do in both the weight loss and the weight regain phase to maximize lean body mass? And some initial things that come to mind, well, one, I have a big interest in high intensity interval training. Um, and there's some really interesting data that shows, you know, moderate, uh, low to moderate aerobic exercise will reduce metabolic rate. And we know that it is not conducive to increasing lean body mass gain. Well, not nearly as much as interval training and resistance training. Um, so one kind of exercise approach. And then there's a lot of really interesting data, obviously, on higher protein diets. Um, to help, you know, maintain lean body mass and, you know, timing and, and, you know, Lane can talk about the leucine threshold, but some of those things. Um, and then interestingly too, there is some literature in more of mice models and obese on that refeed period. Um, and there's, there's no conclusive evidence to just which way is right, but there's some thought that, you know, Refeeding higher fat can help bring hormones back, um, but, you know, there's some of that literature that also suggests that that will increase fat regain too quickly. So I think that's a big area of interest to me and a big gap where we don't really know how to address that post. So, you know, if you have an athlete that you got to their body weight, well, what happens after the Olympics or what happens, you know, the next day when they do have to compete um, and throughout that series, what do we need to do? both nutritionally and exercise um, to help maintain that, you know, their body composition. Yeah. So clearly, I mean, one thing that stands out from what both you guys are saying is we certainly want to avoid any sudden acute extremes, don't we? Um, I think, yep. uh, Lane, you, you, you do explain it extremely well. I've seen a couple of your videos on your your um, your website where you're describing this concept of uh, dieting on as many calories as possible do you want to just 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 take us through that quickly sure because you're not so we have you know leptin which is kind of a people think of as a, a hormone that's responding to fat cell size and leptin we know is well we don't know but we have a strong hypothesis that leptin controls our body fat set point um it's kind of our thermostat and Leptin does respond to the size of your fat cells, but it also responds to energy flux, okay? So if you cause a rapid decrease in calories, even if you are high body fat, uh, leptin will respond by, by dropping. So I, I look at that and say, well, I, most of these metabolic adaptations from the data I've seen are pretty much in proportion to, one, your fat mass, and, and two, uh, your energy flux. So... In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, the, the one of the best ways to prevent you know really drastic lowering of metabolic rate, and it's also one of the best ways to maintain muscle mass, as Abby was talking about, is to again diet on as many calories as you can. So if you can lose body fat on twenty five hundred calories, by God, do that. Don't diet on fifteen hundred. You know, um, and, and this comes back to kind of the crash dieting. But but think about what most even not even competition diets, but most popular diets out there, the HGC diet. 
paleo diet, uh, ketogenic diet, you know, all these, all these different things are usually very, very low calorie diets. Um, physicians weight loss diet is like 800 calories a day. Mm. Um, and so we, we kind of throw everybody in and it's, it's this, you know, again, it is calories in versus calories out, but it's very dangerous just to tell somebody, um, eat less, exercise more. Um, they're already doing that. <laughs> a lot of people are already doing that. Uh, and actually what you'll find is if you take somebody who hasn't ever exercised in their life, hasn't really ever dieted in their life, uh, and you try to get them to lose weight, they will have a very robust response to weight loss. Uh, they, they, will, they will lose weight pretty easily, uh, and it won't even take that much. You take somebody who has weight cycled their entire life, and you can, we're talking about if they start at the same body fat, uh, they've exercised their entire life, um, they will have a very hard time dropping body fat because they've become so efficient with with their energy production uh, because they have created um, through weight cycling uh, this kind of um, neurological and physiological cocktail in their bodies that prevents them from going lower. I don't want to say prevents, but it's it, very, very difficult for them to, to lose body fat. So again, uh, I, 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 the, the best way to prevent these kind of large scale adaptations is to never get to that point in the first place. Uh, if you're trying to undo, I mean, I've worked with, uh, I, a lot of times I work with competitors and particularly uh, it tends to be more in women because they're, they're told from a young age, eat less, you know, diet, do these sorts of things. There's, I just saw a statistic that 80% of women will have tried to go on a diet before age 10. That is frightening to me. Um, hmm. And so the, the, they, I will get people who will routinely come to me and people don't believe me, but I tell them, like, look, the, the population I deal with, they would eat nothing if they thought it would help them lose body fat. Um, I, I had, I had a, a, a gal who had been a dancer for 10 years, a ballet dancer, conscious of her weight and was now a pro figure competitor was gaining weight on 1300 calories a day and over an hour of activity. It was really, I mean, just completely shocking to me. People say, Oh, well they're overeating. They're underreporting. Even if they were underreporting by 50%, you know, they were still at, at 1800 calories or whatever it is. They shouldn't be gaining weight with, you know, multiple hours of activity per day. Mm. So, um, and this person I don't think was underreporting because they were begging me to drop their calories. They were begging me to let them eat less. Yeah. So, again, uh, if, you, if you can lose weight on you know, 2,500 calories or, or whatever it is, that high number, keeping them as high as you possibly can will help prevent those large-scale adaptations. Now, you're, you're, if you're losing weight, your body is going to adapt to that. Some metabolic adaptation is a completely normal response. Uh, the biggest thing is not to let it get out of control, uh, not not to be dieting on ridiculously low calories. Yeah. Um, and and then when you're done, I mean, the research shows to recover your metabolic rate, it, it is almost a, a, as long and a, it, well, it's proportional to the length and intensity of the diet. So uh, again, I try to very slowly add calories back in. And uh, some people respond very favorably to that. And uh, some people don't respond as well. But no matter what, typically the outcome is still better than if I just said, okay, well, you're done with weight loss, do whatever you want, which typically sure. results in massive weight regain and a lot of times body fat overshooting. Yeah, and I, I know some very good points there. And I think people do forget, though, that when we're talking about 
weight loss or, or diets in general, they're looking at it from the perspective of energy only. And of course, we don't eat calories, we eat food. And we eat mm -hmm. food for a reason. Our, our cells and tissues and our bodies need you know, the vitamins, the minerals, the proteins, the, 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 the fats and the stuff that we haven't even identified yet in food. And not only is a dramatic uh, uh, drop in, in energy intake potentially an issue, but so too is that, that, you know, drop in those all those resources that the body might need to take care of itself. So, um, but anyway, uh, uh, Abby, you know, Lane has sort of described very much about um, you know this, this sort of concept of dieting on as many calories as you you know as you, as you can, which I, I just love that perspective. Um, but of course, once we've achieved whatever weight or body composition we're trying to achieve, there's you know you're obviously faced with this uh, uh, this prospect of having to normalise what you eat. And we referred to earlier this this sort of refeed uh, uh, concept. Do you want to just quickly take us through that? Um, sure. Yeah. So that, and that's detailed a little bit in the paper. I think, um, it's kind of a different strategy, right? So like, let's just take somebody that meets their weight loss goals and, and wants to maintain, you know, a, a good physique. Um, one, I think it's important to identify that a lot of people that are really lean, whether it be for a stage or, you know, um, that one point in time, like that's not necessarily how they walk around all the time. Right. So, but if the goal is to be lean uh, on the longer term basis, the idea of a refeed basically, um, I don't know if it tricks your body, but you can basically increase calories and increase your macronutrients um, and potentially delay some of those hormonal adaptations by refeeding. Right. So, um, increasing, uh, and this is not the same idea as a cheat meal, quote unquote cheat meal. But basically, um, if you are, you know, under consuming calories for weight loss goals or, you know, slightly um, not getting what you need, you can refeed on a certain day to allow some of those, um, you know, try and maintain homeostasis a little bit longer. Right. Okay, great. So there are some essential components of that sort of refeed, though, isn't there? And you mentioned earlier that um, a high protein uh, diet um, is going to be important there. Um, so, I mean, why, you know, obviously we, we need to be careful with not just throwing or overshooting with calories in general. I know we sort of touched on a little earlier uh, before about um, protein can have its uses, but why, I mean, why specifically is protein useful here? Well, I would say, honestly, on a refeed day, you'd want to have higher carbohydrates to kind of refill your, your glycogen stores. You'd want higher protein to take advantage of, you know, the thermic effect because we use more calories to break down protein. And then you'd also want higher fat. So a lot of people, specifically females, will be on a lower fat diet. And that can, and, you know, for men too, can highly influence hormonal adaptations like testosterone and estrogen. Right. So, um, but that, I'm a believer that that shouldn't come from donuts, you know, like all those things. Um, uh, we want, you know, there's some really good data on uh, essential fatty acids, our omega-3s in that situation. And obviously our whole food, high-quality protein um, can, can be really advantageous. Yeah, sure. So uh, we've talked about refeeds. Um, we've talked about a number of different factors here. But we also mentioned earlier this, this idea of reverse dieting do, do you want to just take us a little deeper into that concept 
Yeah, and I have a so a different perspective than Lane, maybe a little bit, but I think we're both in agreement that we just need more data. Um, I'm not in the situation where I can sure. try it out on a lot of people, so that's why it's nice to have the communication with Lane um, and you, you know, you. Um, but it's really interesting to me about the idea of some people take this idea of slowly increasing calories um, and and weighing. Other people take the approach, and you'll see this in the literature that they'll do, you know, bigger jumps, whether it be, you know, um, you know, 500 calorie increases, um, and then maintain. I think the biggest thing to identify is that maintenance phase. So if you look at a lot of the literature and like, um, you know, I know this came up in the round table, but ketogenesis or even a low carbohydrate diet, it typically takes our body, you know, at least two weeks, usually four weeks to adapt to any diet. So when we're reversing or increasing our calories, I would say the same thing. We need to, you know, make an adjustment, so increase calories and then hold steady for a couple weeks to adapt and see how our body responds. Yeah. Uh, and then... It was interesting, actually, when I was at um, Lane's camp when we were there and I got to talk to some of the competitors. It was really interesting to hear, um, and in general, you know, even you hear this with people from the lab, that everybody has a different point where they start to feel uncomfortable, whether it's psychologically or physiologically, where they can't eat anymore or their hormones are weird or they're stressed out or, you know, you've even heard night sweats. Um, so I think on the same side as everything, it's all individualized, right? So you just have to be in contact with whoever it is that you're working with. Right. Absolutely. That's, I, I want to touch on that real quick. That's absolutely true. And, uh, one of the, one of the, I don't want to say problems with competitors, but is like you said, they have this idea that they're going to be able to be lean for the rest of like, like contest lean forever. And that is a fleeting, there is a small percentage of people who can maintain that kind of leanness. Uh, but for 99.9% .9 of people, that it, they just need to get that out of their head. It's not going to happen. Um, and the, my 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 big thing with reverse dieting is it's not something to say, okay, we can maintain all this weight loss. My idea is you recover your metabolic rate, you maintain more of the weight loss than you would have if you just jumped up in calories, and get your met metabolic rate back to normal. So then if you decide to diet down in the future, that can then be more effective. And hopefully over time, you're getting better when you lose weight and keep it off than opposed to what we see in the normal uh, traditional diet cycle, which is you get worse and worse. Yeah. Well, and Lane, maybe, I mean, this is something too, like I've just noticed, um, you know, looking at the literature and people like, I think everybody, uh, and maybe it's a female thing. I don't know the literature enough, but you'll increase calories for somebody and they may lose weight, right? While somebody else may may not gain weight as you increase calories, but then it all comes on. It's almost like a delayed body fat overshooting. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's, I mean, it's an individualized thing to, to consider. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. Everybody responds differently to it. And, and, and definitely there is a, you know, you can't reverse diet into oblivion where you're eating 5,000 grams of carbs a day, not gaining weight. Um, but and everybody seems to have a different threshold where they'll start gaining. And I, I try to, you know, again, this is why we need more data. And we're a very hetero, heterogeneous population, which makes it difficult to, uh, as you said, this is why re things need to be individualized. Giving generalized advice is very dangerous. Um, that's why my video logs are 30 minutes long <laughs> because I don't feel good about giving generalized advice. I try to get very specific. Um, 
but yeah, there's definitely everybody who's going to have a different kind of uh, threshold for where they're going to need to level out calorie wise. Um, and also, you know, I, I, for example, I have a client, Lori Piper, and even, you know, she's been with me three years, four years now. And uh, when she first got to me, she was having to get down like under 30 grams of carbs, under 20 grams of fat per day to get lean enough for stage. Now she still has to get down under 80 grams of carbs and under 30 grams of fat to get lean enough for stage. But it's still better than she was four years ago, but it's still pretty low, right? But that's individually, that's what she requires. Uh, whereas somebody else, you know, a Lauren Conlon, uh, I just put up a picture of her on my Facebook. She never had to go below you know, 1700 calories, uh, to get lean enough and very, very little activity. Um, and she, now she has been somebody who, you know, I kind of started working with her at a young age. She had never really chronically dieted that sort of things. And so she responded very well. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's very individualistic. And, uh, I, I always tr never try to act like I have all the answers. Um, I just have opinions based on what I've observed and, uh, and hopefully we can get those opinions more clearly defined. Yeah. And no, I, uh, uh, I think that's great, and uh, you know, and a, a good start of that is, of course, the review that you guys wrote up for JISSN, and um, you know, we're going to look forward to more work from you guys. And uh, I mean, we're more or less out of time here, so we're going to have to wrap this up. But uh, clearly, um, we've only scratched the surface on this topic, and we, you know, we know it's it's not something that's going to be a one size fits all. It's obviously got to be customized to each and each and every individual, and that's why I think more and more topics and more debate on this helps to increase our understanding and hopefully more and more researchers will start to to look at this so just to sort of um wrap up this topic i'm going to ask you guys just a couple of questions uh or, or help me with a couple of things here so abby just to can you just quickly summarize then what metabolic adaptation is as it relates to weight loss just a real super quick overview sure um so it, i guess it would mean that potentially a um a lack of body fat reduction, even when hypocaloric intake or reducing calories according to the calorie balance equation. Um, and I will just give a shout out to my graduate student, Eric Trexler. He is really interested in this area and we are continuing to do more work. So he was the lead author on that paper and um, people should look out for him. Okay, that that's great. And then uh, Lane, just on the other side of the fence then, just a super quick summary of how we should actually approach this how should we you know what, what, what's a sort of a good overview on how to deal with this uh the the, the short answer is we don't really know yeah um but but uh you know in my experience observations with clients that sort of thing uh you know the first thing is never getting to the cycle in the first place of, of super low calorie dieting and massive restriction with massive exercise uh, but if you're already there um, the biggest thing is understanding that uh, you may have to take two steps back before you can take steps forward in terms of getting leaner. Um, you may it may take a while for your for you to recover your 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 metabolic rate. Um, I always tell people your metabolic rate is your most precious uh, asset for long term body composition changes. So do everything you can to enhance that. So as Abby talked about, you know proper diet with enough protein because that's thermo that's thermogenic, uh, sufficient fiber because that is thermogenic, but also understanding that there is a law of diminishing returns and that overdoing both of those can also be a bad thing. Um, and also understanding that uh, when you diet down, trying to diet on as many calories as you can and understanding for everybody that number is going to be different. 
so you know some people are going to be able to lose body fat on 2500 some people are going to are it's going to be tougher to lose body fat on 1500 so but whatever that number is as high as you can keep it keep it there lose it slow the research shows the slower you lose it the more likely you are to keep it off and then when you're done uh, also make it a maintainable lifestyle so don't just exclude whole food groups that's not your answer um, because you are going, if you can't eat like that for the rest of your life, you're going to put it all back on and probably more. And then when you're done, very, 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 very slowly adding in calories until you get to a uh, a calorie intake where you feel like that is maintainable for you and you can be consistent with that. If you're looking to maintain it long term, um, if you're looking to increase muscle mass, uh, obviously training heavy. You know, a properly periodized resistance training program will help increase muscle mass. That can help your metabolic rate. That will help with weight loss. That will help with long-term body composition. And also, uh, slowly adding in calories over time will help with muscle mass and strength and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, that's kind of how I see it. Uh, hopefully, in the next 10 years, probably more optimistically, that's probably pretty optimistic, but probably the next 20 years, We'll get some more answers about you know how can we get more solutions to long-term weight loss. In the meantime, you know, for me as a pragmatist, I kind of just have to look at what's happening with clients and respond accordingly. And uh, again, have had success with with quite a few, and uh, some of them have had not so good success. You know, so, um, but hopefully that the data that comes out will help fill in those gaps, and we'll be able to get much more consistent with. Uh, uh, what we see with weight loss and keeping it off. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And uh, uh, thank you, both of you, so much. Lane, I appreciate your uh, pragmatic approach to all of this. As a, <laughs> as a practitioner, I, you know, I realize uh, just how useful it is to have that perspective. And Abby, it's wonderful to have your, your input and expertise into these things as usual. Uh, as usual. And I really hope that we can um, address this uh, again in the future when we know a little bit more but um i do appreciate you um coming on the you know on this podcast and and helping our listeners understand this topic a bit more so uh so i'm going to say thank you to you guys and uh that's the end of this podcast on metabolic adaptation with doctors um abby smith ryan and dr lane norton i'm laurent bannock from guru performance if you want to know more about what we're doing at Guru Performance and upcoming podcasts, just go to guruperformance.com. If you want to get educated and learn more about this stuff, um, consider the ISSN uh, Diploma, uh, which is at issndiploma.com. And uh, we'll be right back to you soon.